Yes, we're back with another rider, another story. Today we have the lovely Rebecca in the house and she's going to tell us about her family heritage and alcohol. So if you're interested in alcohol, listen deep. But before we get into that, do not forget to like, subscribe and follow depending what platform you're listening to us on. Nice to have you here today, Rebecca. Thank you very much, Simon. So my name's Rebecca Jago and my father, Tom Jago, was the man behind Bailey's Irish Cream with a big team of people. He didn't invent it, but he ran the team that developed it. And for you, Simon, particularly interestingly, is the fact that Bailey's Irish Cream was specifically designed to appeal to people who don't drink alcohol. So, okay. So the combination of chocolate and cream yeah. blended with whiskey is what made it so appetizing to people who generally do not like the taste of alcohol which sounds a bit evil but I don't think it was intended <laughs> I don't think it was intended to be evil so back in 1974 mm -hmm. Bailey's Irish cream was launched it completely failed in research when uh, they took it out to market research everyone said it tasted like indigestion medicine but okay. they went ahead and launched it anyway largely because it solved a problem for the company that owned the company my father worked for who had a, a, a huge lake of cream because people were drinking lower fat milk and a lot of Irish whiskey that was going unsold so that's really what determined the future of Bailey's Irish cream and then some years later my father's longtime colleague James Espy came over from South Africa and he was the man who turned Bailey's into the global success that it still is today. It's still the best-selling liqueur in the world and has been since the 1980s really. So do you have different grades of Bailey's? I don't know. So first I think you need to understand that I don't know anything about Bailey's. So this was back in the days of oh, okay. before Diageo was Diageo when there were lots of different companies that eventually went to form Diageo. So this is back in the late 70s, early 80s. And James and my dad went on to work for several other companies. James was a, an incredibly successful businessman and they ended up in the 1990s at Seagram, which is a Canadian spirits company which owned Shivers Brothers at the time. And they, together with a wonderful man called Colin Scott, they launched something called Shivers Regal 18-year-old, which was a premium version of an existing whiskey, very big seller in China particularly, but all over the world. And when they retired, my dad was 82 and James was 65, and they decided to start a new company. And that company was called The Last Drop Distillers, and that's the company that I work for today. So the thing I would say to your listeners is it's never too late to start a new business or to come up with a new idea. Mm. If you can do it at 65 and 82, you can do it whenever. That's the same as a KFC man. Ah, uh, yes, indeed. He, he was 60 or 65, wasn't yeah. he? So uh, when you have the idea, you have to act on it. So they started a company called The Last Drop Distillers. And what we do is we find and bottle old and rare spirits. So although the company says The Last Drop Distillers, we're not really distillers. We're more collectors, curators and assessors. So we don't just do Scotch whiskey. We do Scotch, rum, bourbon. What else do we do? Scotch, rum, bourbon, 
cognac, lots of cognac, in, well I say lots. So we're, what we do is very small releases of very old and rare spirits. So we work in a very premium sector of the marketplace. We bottle between 20 and 2,000 bottles at any one time. Every release is different and every release is finite. So when it's gone, it's gone and there won't be any more. So we don't have like a, a mainstream product that there always is. We're always on the hunt for new and delicious spirits. And my job is to run a very small team and make sure that we continue to bring beautiful spirits to the marketplace. So are spirits like wines where they have to be really old to no. be expensive? No, I think it really depends on the category. I mean, the last drop is not really involved in, in spirits like gin or vodka because they can be made in bulk and there's not any benefit to age. And with all spirits, age is one small part of what goes to make up the, the you know the exceptional spirit that, that we might put into a bottle so it would be a combination of the quality of the, the initial spirit, the wood it aged in mm -hmm. and the care with which if it's a blend, which and we do quite a lot of work in, in the world of blends, the care with which it was put together. And then there are all sorts of other unknown factors about ageing. And so it's the temperature of the room and stuff? Temperature of the room, you'll find that in cognac and scotch whiskey, spirits can get much older than they would somewhere like Kentucky, where it, there are much more extremes of heat and cold, but also because in Kentucky, which is where largely bourbon is made, uh, you have to use, use new oak, which uh, imparts much more flavour and much more has much more influence on the spirit, so therefore the impact will be greater. So it's a whole combination and also of things like nature and unknowns where you don't know what's going to happen. So you might have a 50 year old whiskey that's delicious and you might have a 50 year old whiskey that tastes of you know ashes and dust and, mm. and wood and is undrinkable. So, so there are all sorts of facts and, and that is the same Simon as mm. wine. Not all wine is good when it's old and if you like white wine, you might not want a super old wine. So it really is just one element. But I think what we're after is um, is exceptionally good spirits from whatever category. And the word we use is remarkable because it's not about the oldest or the rarest. It's about something that's really exceptional and, and is worthy of bringing to people's attention. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I, what I was thinking, in, so that barrel, that actually plays a part in maturing oh, the alcohol. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, so you, you use a special kind of word or something? Well, maturation is the word for what happens to... So when you make, let's take whiskey as an example, Scotch whiskey or Irish whiskey. When you make whiskey, it's distilled on a still, in a copper still, and the spirit that goes into the barrel is clear. So it's distilled from grain, barley, corn, wheat, and turned into a sort of, it's distilled, it's turned, so first of all, the wheat and barley will be mixed with yeast and water, and eventually will turn into a sort of a beer, which is then distilled in a copper still to reduce the liquid and increase the alcohol, and the purity comes from the copper, and eventually this clear spirit comes off the other end, and that will be about 60, 70% 
alcohol and then that is put into wood to mature for anything between minimum three years in wood before it can be legally called Scotch whisky and the oldest Scotch whisky that's come to market so far is 82 years old and that's really really rare so the sweet spot is probably between about 8 and 25 years so something very old is very unusual so every year while the this whisky is maturing in the wood it will evaporate and so there will be less so you might end up with half of what you put into the barrel by the time you bottle it because it would have evaporated really yeah and then you have to do, do you filter the when you pour it out of the barrel do you filter it well you'll do it depends there's something called chill filtration which for mass market products so say you've got a blend like johnny walker that's huge, huge volumes, and they're bottling every day. And that, there, the team will be looking for consistency of product from year to year. And so they will be using different whiskies to make sure that it tastes the same from bottle to bottle. And there, they will do chill filtration before it goes into the bottle, which is to ensure consistency of colour. But if you're bottling very tiny old parcels, then you wouldn't filter it because what you want is to present the spirit as it came out of the barrel. So it would be filtered roughly to take out the pieces of char because you char a barrel before you put spirit into it. So that's like charring the inside of the barrel. And so you filter out the impurities, but you don't chill or filter it, basically. Yeah, okay. That's very, very interesting. The tasting though. Yes. Because you haven't got one person tasting all the time. You probably no, have a absolutely. team of people tasting. They do that mouthwash and spit it out. Yes. Otherwise they wouldn't get past an hour. <laughs> well, and the other thing you'll always do if you're, if you're tasting professionally is you bring the alcohol down to 20% so that you're not being affected by the fumes of the alcohol, but you can still taste the... Um, the actual flavour. How, how do you bring down the alcohol? Just add water. Ah, yes, yes, yes. I have a confession to make. Go on. Uh, <laughs> you'll probably laugh at this. My girlfriend at the time, being Caribbean, uh, her mum, being Jamaican like mine, uh, Gran, yeah. they made this rum cake. Yes. Now, rum cake, you soak it in raisins for a year. Yes. And sultanas and then you mix it with flour and they do whatever they do to make the cake. Now, yep. I've never drank in my life before, so I took a bite of that cake huh. and then I just went, I don't feel too good. <laughs> and I put my head down on her lap, my girlfriend's lap, and I was out. <laughs> I just passed out on uh, passed out or got drunk, whatever you want to say. And that was enough One bite you. of cake, yeah, so I've never drank since then. Because I thought, no, but I didn't wake up with a headache or anything. No, well, I just, just, it just knocked me down. Knocked well, me down. Al alcohol is a very interesting, you know, it's a drug, it's a poison like many others, but clearly the world has an interesting, well, individuals within the world have a very interesting relationship with alcohol, don't they? So, what have you learned about the alcohol industry that you wish you knew when you started? Well, I, no, I, I would say that I take a great deal of pleasure in, in learning as I go. So I, I don't wish I'd known things when I started. I wish I'd had longer with my dad before he died. He died in 2018. Okay. And it was a real joy to work with him for the last four years of his life. So I 
that could have been longer, but it was also really wonderful. I think what I would say is that the alcohol industry as a whole is a place of pleasure because really when you make alcohol or you bring alcohol to market you are hoping to to bring pleasure to people now in spite of what I was saying about the the nature of people's relationships some relationships with alcohol largely people drink for pleasure and therefore you're already in a business where where the the objective is is to make things better and I think that's I mean that sounds a bit I d I'm not. I'm not saying that I'm on a mission to persuade people to drink alcohol. I'm just saying that it is. It should be seen as something that makes life, you know, a moment pleasurable. Pleasurable. So that's quite a nice industry to be in. Okay. Well, we've come to the end of our journey. Thank you, Simon. We thank you for this interview. Where, it is my pleasure. If people want to buy your alcohol, what, what's it called again? It's called. We're called the Last Drop Distillers. The Last and, Drop Distillers. And I would, but I would say that we uh, we work in a in a field of the the industry where it's very small, very rare, and also very expensive. <laughs> okay, no problem. Well, thanks a lot for that, and we wish you well. We hope that episode enhanced your life. We post an interview every day as well as vlogging on our social media channel. Don't forget to subscribe to get our latest episodes.